is a lot of wonderful things taking place in the life of our church during this season of Advent. And before I have you stand for the reading of God's Word, I want to give you an update on where we are with the Extend campaign and vision and what that looks like. Um, This morning, I want to start by just, again, talking about the privilege of what it means to be part of the body of Christ, capital C, large church, and then particularly this expression of his church. Um, 30 years ago this month, I went on my very first date with my wife, Christina, and I looked a lot different. I had dark hair, I had a full beard, I wore cowboy boots, I drove a truck. We worked together, and um, I thought she was cute, I knew she was godly, and so I was scared. I was scared if I asked her out, she would say no, I would experience rejection, that pain would be real, I didn't want any of that. So I sought to discern a dating loophole, and there was one, the employee Christmas party. So I invited her to our employee Christmas party. She said yes. I was encouraged by her acceptance of my invitation until I picked her up for the date. When I picked her up for the date, she said very quickly, I need to be home by 10. Now, it's December. It was the night before finals week. It was a Sunday night. I had finals too. I wasn't as worried about mine as she was about hers. It was her freshman fall. It was my senior fall. Nonetheless, I got her home on time. Wasn't certain we would have another date, but we did. A year later, I was donning a different beard. This time it wasn't brown. It was solid white. I was also wearing a red suit dressed as Santa Claus, standing at Will Rogers World Airport ringing a bell. I wasn't there to raise money. I was there to propose to this girl named Christina. (laughs) Behind the scenes, I had convinced through two people that they should all play a joke on me. Christina had no clue. She thought this was her idea. And it wasn't. It was mine. Behind the scenes, I orchestrated everything. About 35 high school students and a few of our volunteer leaders from the church I served in showed up at Will Rogers World Airport, only two knowing it was me in the Santa suit. And they all had signs, and the signs said, Welcome home, Mark Davis, Olympic bobsled hopeful. (laughs) My idea. Nobody bobsleds in Oklahoma, but there they were. Before they got to the gate, which you could still go to the gate in those days, they gathered around Santa. I'm Santa. I'm ringing the bell. I am getting some donations, by the way, not on purpose. (laughs) So I start ringing the bell. They gather around. Christina's right next to me. She doesn't know it's me. I hand out candy canes to all the kids, and then I hand her a gift. It's a Christmas bulb, and inside the bulb is a ring. She opens it looks at the ring, and then distances herself from me, thinking I'm a Santa with bad intentions. (laughs) It also might have something to do with the size of the ring. I'm not sure. But she moved back. One of the leaders then said, no, 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 get by Santa again. And as she comes close, reluctantly, I pull off the beard, and I drop on one knee. And everybody, except those two that knew, stepped back and gasped. I asked her that day, December 10th, 
will you be my wife? And she said, yes. For the next five months, we were planning our wedding. She would get married one week after she finished her sophomore year of college. I will have just graduated. We're four years apart. I look a lot older than her. I did then. I still do today. But we got married. While we're planning that wedding, that union, that calling on our lives, there was a group here in Dallas, in this very community, pursuing another union. They were pursuing God, calling them to start a new church. That church is where you sit now. Many of you were there. Some of you have never heard the story. You're new to this church. This morning, I want to share with you just a little bit about what we believe the Lord's calling us to do. As less than a year from now, the new building is going to be open. If you haven't seen, walking outside these doors towards Fellowship Hall, as Bill prayed, that the still is going up. We anticipate having a topping out ceremony on February 9th where you'll be able to go out and sign the beam before the final beam is placed on top. Things are moving fast. So earlier this fall, I shared with you that a team was going to form of about 20 people, men and women, who were gonna seek the face of the Lord for the specificity. How is it you're calling us to open these new doors to the neighbors who are right around us? How are you calling us to continue to plant new churches and to, by your grace and for your glory, see a new city built? And so with great joy, this team began in earnest to seek the Lord's face to pray. As we gathered, there were lots of ideas that we had and so many ideas that laity and staff had put together already. But we really wanted to understand what would be new. And then how would we even know what we should select so quickly, the group began to define who are our neighbors. And we thought about our neighbors to the north, to the east, to the south, to the west. What are the needs of those who are physically rich but spiritually poor? What are the needs of those who are really both? What about those who are spiritually rich but, rich but physically poor? Who are our neighbors that live within walking distance? What are their needs? And we begin to identify specifically those neighborhoods those schools, those places of recreation, those places of residence, those places of work. How can we as a church be a light in those places? We also began to ask the Lord to show us the criteria by which we would say this seems to be the way the Lord's moving. And three things surfaced. Number one, whatever doors we open need to be very evangelistic. This opportunity for us is not just to have a new shiny facility, but for us, the people of God, to go out and bring people in. For us as a body to receive those who come in and connect them to the Lord, to one another, and then to equip them to do the very same thing, to go out, bring in, to receive and connect, to equip and grow, and then to go back out and around and around and around it goes. It's gotta be evangelistic. Secondly, it needs to be something that engages our body, our membership, and the friends of this church. It engages us in a way that is relational and sacrificial. It's not just writing a check and letting others do the work. It's an opportunity that would engage all of us in the work of extending his kingdom. Remembering that the word extend means three things. To cause to grow wider and deeper, longer, higher, Extend means to hold something out to someone 
And the very one we're holding out is Jesus, the one true savior of the world. And extend thirdly means to exert oneself to the utmost. And so as we thought about the criteria, that it's evangelistic, that it would require our members to be engaged relationally and sacrificially, sacrificially, like giving ourselves to him and his work. The third criteria was that it would center on passion and pain. Looking at our neighbors, all of them, what are their various passions? And what are their various pains? How do we know? Because we're them. And so when we look at neighborhoods like Oaklawn and Cedar Springs and East Dallas and North Dallas High and the Park Cities, all that is around us, what areas of passion and pain are there that by God's grace and for his glory we could speak into and show them through connected relationships that there is a God and this God has descended to this place. He has walked upon this earth he came to this earth to taste our sadness, he whose glory knew no end. And they would see a body of believers captivated by the glory of Christ, wanting so much for the good news of Jesus to be spread. To that end, lots of ideas were born and more ideas are coming. But as we rested in the Lord and asked him to show us, a few things really surfaced to the top. Number one is that as this facility begins to open and the children's wing is there, we long to have a daycare through a ministry most likely called Lion Heart that comes in and uses our facilities to offer childcare from early in the morning to late in the evening, particularly for families who have need. It's not just a mother's day out. It's families where both parents are working or there's only one parent in the home and they need some place to take their children. This ministry called Lion Heart is a remarkable ministry that engages the body of the church they hire a church liaison whose job is to connect people that are bringing their children to the life of this church. Again, this body bringing people in, this body receiving them and connecting them, this body then equipping them for the work of the ministry. That ministry has tremendous opportunity to engage over 100 families that are not currently part of our church. It's evangelistic. It requires sacrifice. It requires us to be engaged relationally. Continuing that theme of reaching our neighbors, we begin to think a lot about the arts, about beauty, about the mind, and about the heart, realizing that with new space, we have the opportunity to have more redemption groups, to offer re-engage more than one night, to offer parenting in the present again, and again, more than one night, so that people's passion and pain can be addressed in a way that makes life-changing impact. Along with that, we realize that we ought to be doing these things, just as we have been, but in Spanish as well as English. What would it look like to have a re-engage that didn't require someone to learn English first before they could benefit from the content of that class? And so we know we need to build a team that can help us do that. Our ESL is a phenomenal ministry with so much opportunity to grow, but we need to know how to do that. North Dallas High School is the closest high school to our church, and we have nothing currently happening as a church to engage that school. We want to see that change. 
Again, this church going out, bringing in. This church receiving and connecting people. This church equipping. So many opportunities there. Along with that, a lot of people are passionate about sports. Children are passionate about sports. Parents are passionate about sports. Adults are passionate about sports. We want to pursue opportunities to bring people into the new gym for fellowship, for engagement. So again, they would have the opportunity for one of us to extend the good news of Jesus to them as relationships are formed. These ideas and others are in the process of being pursued. But I think the thing that blessed us the most was when this committee, this team together realized that the greatest resource, resource this church has is not the building, as wonderful as it's going to be, but it's the people in the building. It's you. It's me. It's us as a body being faithful to the vow that we once made that we will seek to support this church in its worship and work to the best of our ability. Connecting that to extend, we all, by his grace and for his glory, will seek to exert ourselves to the utmost. What a calling. What a joy. It was like that in 91. It's been like that at moments since. And it must be that way going forward. By God's grace and for his glory, that can happen. But it can only happen if we as individual believers seek to listen to the Lord for how he wants to use us. New people are going to be coming into this church. New people have. Over 500 new members have joined our church since we launched the Extend campaign. Did you know that? That's a lot of people. Many of them haven't really understood the full scope of it. We're so blessed. But as we move forward, God gave us the idea that in the early parts of 2020, January through May, we want to set our focus on the body that is here re-entering these doors first. Later this spring, we're going to offer three weekends where we're going to invite every member of our church to re-enter the doors. As they re-enter, to remember. To remember the moment you came into this church. To remember God's faithfulness from the beginning of his word to the end and from the beginning of him calling you to eternity. We want you to re-enter. We want you to remember. And then we're going to call on every one of our members to renew their vows. That every one of us, by his grace and for his glory, are going to say, this is a great salvation. The vows that I made, whether it was almost 30 years ago or in our last membership class or the one that starts in just a few weeks, I am committed to those same things. So we're going to be going after you and bringing you in through the new doors. We're going to be receiving and connecting you and equipping you that you may go out. And as the building is finished in the fall, and as we continue to see these ministries extend, it's going to be about the people, you and me. 
So I want you to think of this question. If everybody in this church thought about this church the way you do, what kind of church would we have? That's a powerful question. If everyone in this church thought about PCPC the way I do, what kind of church would we have? The word of God tells us how we should think about his church. This church, along with every true church, is the bride of Christ. He died for her. He's coming for her. You are part of his bride. In his holy word, he has told us how we are to be the church. And he uses words like go out, make disciples. He uses words that tell us that he is the head of his church, that he's governing her, and that he's coming for her. And Jesus is going to always be faithful to his church, always. And there will be a moment in time when he's sent to return. And when he does, his bride is going to run into her lover's arms. As every knee bows and tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord, that is going to be the reality of all who are in Christ. There are people who live and work very close to this church. There are people that you work with and live next to. As a believer in Jesus, he is calling us to make it the primary objective of our life to bring him glory by making known his name in this world. We are not going to be a church that builds something and waits for people to come. That's not the church. We're going to be the church that's called to go out, to bring in, to receive all, and to connect them, and to watch God equip all of us to go and make the name of Jesus known. Why? Because of all his word says and what you're about to hear right now from Isaiah 9. Amen. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. I trust that you understand what I just said was not just a long announcement. It was a long introduction to what I'm about to read and what I'm about to say from a particular word in this prophecy from Isaiah. Remember this. That as Isaiah spoke these words, the people of Israel were wandering in darkness. Isaiah 8 says that they will look up to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish is all around them, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. It's from that description of this people on earth that they then heard these words about this child to come, the Messiah. Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, I pray that you would bless the short time that we spend in this text and that we would be different because of what we hear. You have the power to do that. You are doing that. To you be the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm tired. Not because of that long introduction, but because I'm preaching on rest. In a restless world, to a restless congregation, leading a restless family. Oftentimes, when the Lord leads you to preach on something, the challenge and attack on that particular issue become very real. At 1.40 this morning when I rose, it wasn't because I needed to finish prepping this sermon or that long introduction. It was because my youngest child came into our room restless. He saw me first. Daddy, I can't fall asleep. It's 1.40. You should have fallen asleep five hours ago. I can't sleep. Okay, go back to your room. He did. A little bit later, 30 minutes, he comes to his mom. She's more compassionate. She says, lay down on the little lounge right there. Just just relax. He stayed in our room. I was done. I was up. She knew it. I can't go back to sleep after I've been asleep for a couple of hours. Why? Because I get restless. I finally got out of bed, and by the time I came back in early, early this morning to get ready, Christina hadn't been sleeping either, and she said, not trying to be cute, I'm restless. Those were her words, and she was, and we are. God called us from the book of Hebrews into this series during Advent on rest. We're calling it the rest of Christmas. And this idea is that the word rest means two things. It means to truly stop, to surrender, to submit, to be still, to experience rejuvenation, which we all need. But it also means something else. It means that there's more to the story. What's the rest of the story? There's more to come. And that's true of God's rest. And so this morning, for a few minutes, we're talking about the rest of his government Government. Government means, biblically, the picture of God who created all things by the word of his power, not just creating them and letting them go. That's a deistic view. It is about the God who created all things by the word of his power, now upholding and sustaining all things. In our doctrine from the Westminster Confession of Faith, it says it this way, that God governs and controls all of his creatures and all their activity. From the least to the greatest, God is governing and his governance is sovereign. It is complete. 
There's nothing outside of God's grip. And so when this people who were walking in a very dark time because of their own restlessness, this cycle of restlessness from the beginning of Genesis all the way through. Because of this cycle of restlessness, the people stop waiting. They grow irritable and discontent. And instead of waiting upon the Lord to fulfill his plan and what he promised, they take things into their own hands. They put them on their own shoulders. And they reject and rebel against the word of God. And then the consequences of that rebellion come, and that's what they're living in. But in the midst of that just and righteous judgment of God, he brings his grace. And his grace comes in a way they never could have expected. It comes through the promise of a king, but this is not gonna be an earthly king. Shockingly, it's going to be a child unto us, a child is born. And then Isaiah the prophet says, and the government will be upon his shoulder. The word upon can be translated rest. And the government will rest upon his shoulder. The New American Standard does translate it that way. What that means for us as Christians, living in a very restless world, restless ourselves, is that we have a God in whom is governing all things. So here's the truth that we must say to ourselves over and over and over again. Our restlessness will turn to rest only when we rest in him alone. Our restlessness will turn to rest only when we rest in him alone. So whatever, dear friend, you have brought into this place today, whether it's new restlessness or old, whether it's an issue in a significant relationship, whether it's an issue with a child grown or young, whether it's looking at the restlessness of our own government and the governments around the world, whatever is making you restless at work or at home, at school or in places of recreation, whatever is making you restless will only turn to rest when you are resting in him alone. Christianity is not a gimmick. A phrase like the phrase, our restlessness will turn to rest only when we rest in him alone, is not a gimmick. It's a truth that is meant to be incarnated. It is a truth that's meant to be embodied and the reason why so few Christians really look at rest in the midst of restlessness is because we haven't embodied that. It hasn't incarnated us. We tend to treat Jesus as a condiment, as something to sprinkle on our life, 
to hopefully give us a little relief. That's not Christianity. Christianity is Jesus in us. Our union with Christ where God himself, who's governing all things, is living in us. And when we experience the restlessness of this broken, evil world, he understands. He walked our road. He felt and feels our pain. Jesus isn't a gimmick. He is a king who's governing and controlling all things. And for those who are in Christ, his spirit is living in you. Until we embody that, until that is incarnated in us, our restlessness will not turn to rest. Our restlessness will not turn to rest until we rest in him alone. So how do we do that? Our compassionate God has given us his word. The spirit of God illuminates his word to make sense to our restless minds and heart. And what his word is telling us is that this coming deliverer, this promised deliverer is going to have the government resting on his shoulder. Then he uses these names that will be used for the person of this child, this Christ. And he calls him a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, describing the attributes of this God and how he's going to govern. He is going to govern with perfect counsel. He is going to govern with absolute power. There's no part of God's plan that he cannot fulfill. He's going to govern as an eternal father, everlasting father. He's going to bring his peace, which is perfect. And so believers seeking to indwell, to have incarnated in them the truth of who he is, must meditate on these truths in the midst of the restlessness. Your restlessness is born because you're in pain or heading towards pain or coming out of pain and fearful of more. That is met with the reality of your limits, that you can't know everything, you can't do everything, and you can't be everywhere. And so the temptation for us with restless minds is to enter into that cycle of restlessness and fixate our thinking on those limits and that pain. Where God is telling us, bring whatever is making you restless into the light and experience my rest because there's nothing I can learn about that. There's no power I lack to heal that. There is no presence I lack because I'm all present. 
Isaiah then tells us something else about this king. In verse 7, he says, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. In other words, from this time forth and forevermore, this king will live forever. This king has no term limits. This king has no limits at all. This is the one true king to end all kings. Now, in order for that to rescue and redeem a people, this God in whom the government is resting on his shoulders had a plan that we would never make up. And the plan was to send his son who would be conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin, who would be born fully God, fully man. And this son would grow and mature. He would live a perfect life. And then one day, in order to shoulder God's government, a cross would be placed on his shoulder. And then as he hangs on that cross, the weight of every sin of his children from all eternity, for all eternity, yours, every one of them, mine, every one of them would be on his shoulders. And it would be God's will, the Father's plan, his government to crush him that we might live forever. One more picture of the government resting on the shoulders of God is that in order to rescue his people, he gives us a picture of God himself, the good shepherd, going after the lost sheep. And when the good shepherd finds the lost sheep, after leaving the 99, he picks it up and he puts it on his shoulder and he carries it back to the flock. If you are in Christ Jesus, he came after you. He picked you up and put you on his shoulder. And in his government, you are in his grip. And you will be in his grip for all eternity. This side of heaven, we are going to feel so much restlessness. Restlessness outside and restlessness inside. But when we do, as Christians, we must take that which is making us restless to the God of rest, who says to us, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest.
what the good shepherd is saying is I'm giving you myself. And I am a wonderful counselor. I am the mighty God. I am the everlasting father and the prince of peace. May these truths be incarnated in you. May you embody the truth of who I am in you. Only, only when he alone is our rest will our restlessness become true rest. Father in heaven, your people have received from you compassion. They have received from you the good news that you came descending to this place, living a perfect life, taking on your shoulder the sin of the world and the wrath of God. And Lord, those who belong to you have felt your grip. Lord God Almighty, as we close in song, singing the story of what I've just been preaching, would you keep us still and press these deep truths into our hearts that we actually may leave here resting in you alone. We pray this in God's holy name. Amen.